You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Hello there, Cyber World. This is Luke Vanderlinden, Vice President of Membership at the Retail and Hospitality Information Sharing and Analysis Center. And you're listening to the RHISAC Podcast. Well, it's almost here. In just a couple days, I'll be jetting off to Dallas, Texas to spend a few days with 400 of my nearest and dearest colleagues at the 2023 RHISAC Cyber Intelligence Summit. You've heard us talking about it, and you've probably gotten one or two emails about it over the past few weeks and months. There will be sessions delivered by prominent thought leaders and experts from the provider community, collaborative workshops, cybersecurity exercises, and exceptional networking opportunities, all driven by your fellow members, assuming you're a member of the RHISAC, of course. I will be joined today by Alex Brown, the RHISAC Senior Director of Operations and Guru of all of our events to give us the lowdown on what you can expect at the summit, a no before you go. But it's not too late. If you can get down to Plano, Texas, there's still time for you to join us. Head over to summit.rhisac.org to get all the details, after you listen to today's episode, of course. Also, given that we're not a daily podcast, but produced twice a month, we don't often delve into breaking news. Usually we do more deep analysis into incidents and threat actors and ways retailers can protect themselves. But recent events have pointed us to look at not just third-party risk, which we have done quite often on this podcast, but what David Saversky of Scienta Institute calls ripple events. David is a senior security data scientist at the Scienta Institute, and he'll explain what that means. And, well, you can't get more breaking news than when we're joined by Lee Clark with The Briefing. Usually it's a wrap-up of the major trends we're seeing, but he's promised me that today we're going to talk quite a bit about certain types of Scattered spiders or muddled libras or leaping llamas. It's hard to keep track. Those are making news of late. We're a bit early for Halloween, and those certainly sound like spooky creatures, but no matter what you call them, they are a very sophisticated threat actor that are using social engineering to gain a very privileged level of access to a couple of organizations, and then we're able to move around and do quite a bit of damage there. And by the way, RHISAC analysts profiled this threat actor many months ago when we launched our Threat Actor Galaxy and MISP. So quite a bit in store for us on this episode, so let's get to it. Of course, if you have something cybersecurity related that you just have to get off your chest, shoot us an email at podcast at rhisac.org, or if you're a member, hit me up on Slack or Member Exchange. I'm happy to be joined now by David Saversky, Senior Security Data Scientist, at Scientia Institute. Welcome to the RHISAC podcast, David. Thank you very much, Luke. It's a pleasure to be here. And I know that's a mouthful of words to have to pronounce. It is, but I think I, I, think I did it successfully. So uh, you and Scientia were introduced to the podcast uh, by Risk Recon. Risk Recon, of course, is no stranger to our members and our listeners. Uh, Kelly White, founder, was on our podcast a couple months ago. And of course, Risk Recon's a, an associate member of ours, big supporter of the RHISAC. So uh, tell us a little bit about what the Scientia Institute does and how you work with Risk Recon. Fantastic. I'm happy to do so. So at the Science Institute, we are a small uh, cybersecurity and data science firm. 
We work with vendors such as Risk Recon to transform data into publicly facing research that the community can benefit from and that can actually inform their practices in a data-driven manner. Uh, essentially, we're trying to replace the promises of good practices and compliance checkbox with actual data-driven practices to know what actually works, what actually makes a difference for risk management. Uh, risk Recon and Sanita have had a long relationship, just like RHISAC and uh, Risk Recon as well. Our relationship goes back to 2019. We've done over 15 reports together. Uh, this one that we'll be talking about today, which is the Ripples Attack report, is the latest one that's due out, I believe, early next month. Folks that are familiar with Risk Recon know that they focus upon the attack surface of both firms and their third parties, where they're automatically scanning the internet you know, thousands of times uh, every day and collecting quite a bit of information about what the attack surface looks like about firms. What are, what are the technologies they have deployed? Uh, what are the ones that are vulnerable or in perhaps forgotten about and not well managed? Uh, we've done a lot of work on that over the years. Uh, most recently with this report, we're actually looking at what happens when those controls actually fail. Uh, so we're looking at the loss side of the equation from a risk management perspective. What is the frequency and magnitude of losses when they impact a firm or the firm's suppliers? So, uh, well, thank you for that. Because third-party risk is one of our favorite topics here on the RHISAC podcast. And um, and I think this this fits perfectly with that. And I love the fact that it's it's data driven, and so it's not just feelings; it's actual facts. So, we're st- I think third party risk is kind of having a moment right now, without going and mentioning any specific incidents or breaches currently underway. Except maybe we can talk about Clop Move It. But um, there's a lot of activity right now that was initially from a third party, a, an attack on a third party that's now uh, hitting hitting some big companies uh, who arguably were at no fault of their own, but kind of got swept up in these events. Absolutely. And and so uh, this has been a topic we've been interested in for a number of years now, because it's not just the events that many folks are focused on, which are the events that impact my immediate company, because I had a old brochure website out there and I happened to have direct access to a purchasing system. And that was the method of compromise that affected the firm. Certainly well known there. But it's also, as we are all very familiar with in the uh, post-2021 COVID world now, it is all the relationships that form up your supply network, both the physical supply chain as well as the technical supply chain as well. And those are potentially, and in our experience, are in fact very different events than ones that impact just a single firm. Yeah, the example I typically give on this is something like uh, the BlackBot event from 2020, uh, pre-COVID era there where we had a single firm that was affected by a ransomware attack that spread to, uh, on our last count, hundreds of what we call downstream firms uh, with combined losses of over $47 million. It's huge. And in our experience, uh, we've been working with Risk Recon and with the Zywave advising team for their loss data there. And we see that these multi-party security incidents typically cost seven times more than single-party events. So there's already quite a bit of cost there. And when you look at these multi-party, what we call ripple events, uh, seven times the typical costs are associated with that. All right. So why don't you define, I think it's a great term, ripple event. Did you guys coin that phrase? And and what exactly, how do you define it? Yeah. So it is a term that we coined uh, using the work that we've done previously with Risk Recon. We've 
coined this out of the the ripples across the attack surface. So if you imagine a pond out there, which is your typical internet exposure there, you drop a rock in the middle of that pond there, you certainly have the, the immediate splash, the immediate impact from that. But as you know, anyone that's you know, skipped rocks before in a pond, you know that those ripples spread out in concentric rings that affect more and more parties, whether that's the first party, the original firm that experienced the event, third parties, which are those ones that are perhaps just one hop away. But there's also fourth and fifth and nth party relationships as well, as it's your supplier's suppliers. In fact, you can have a event that takes place very far down your supply chain that has effects that spread all the way back to you. In, in our work, we call these the difference between the generators, the, the source form that actually experienced the breach or the other intrusion, versus the receivers, those that are downstream from that event. And we typically see a ratio of one to seven between the generators and the receivers. That means in a typical average uh, ripple event, there's at least seven other firms that are swept up at one of these multi-party events. So, you know, I'm thinking um, when, I, when I speak sometimes to folks and explain to them, you know, they want to ask about ransomware, for example, uh, and I talk to them about double extortion, triple extortion. This goes beyond that. This isn't just access to data that may have seeped over to a third party or a fourth party or a fifth party, but this is an actual technical uh, effect of a breach in, in one place and it ripples out. Absolutely. And it can be the, the actual mechanism of that transmission can be varied. So a question we often get is, are all Ripple supply chain events? And the answer to that is no, they're not necessarily, because there are multiple types of relationships that firms can have with each other. Oftentimes in third-party risk management, we focus upon where does the data go, and for very good reasons of that, you know, I exchange data with this other party. But there are many other ways that things can be transmitted through the course of business relationships that can be through legal means through system outages. Um, If you are working with a cloud provider and that cloud provider has an outage, even though your data may not be exposed, that certainly has a, uh, for many firms these days, that has a very substantial impact upon their operations. Uh, So what are are the other um, uh, examples that you might be able to give of of some of the things that, some of these breaches that we're talking about with the ripple effect? Yeah, certainly. As you mentioned yourself there, there's the the move-it event that's uh, still unfolding today. and No end in sight. No, and excited, of course, Excelion before that, and uh, file transfer appliances seem to be a perennial favorite in that aspect there. But, you know, there's, there's blackballed events there. Um, those events go further and further beyond. Why are these events of special significance to th- specifically to third-party risk managers? Or, or in another way, how do Ripple events differ from single-company events? So they, they differ in many ways, uh, one of which is they're frequently unanticipated, Third-party risk managers may be focused upon a particular dimension or maybe even two, such as I'm focused upon where is my data going and which firms are directly within my supply chain there. You know, the modern enterprise is composed of hundreds, if not thousands, of these relationships there, and not all of which are necessarily within the scope of an IT manager's purview, and they may not have visibility into those. With the ratio that we have seen of one to seven in terms of generators to receivers out there, this is meaning that there are every single event has the potential to spread out to many, many different firms, uh, sometimes ranging up to hundreds of firms. But the cost is very different as well. You may feel as a third-party risk manager that you have a good understanding of what your particular firm's exposure is to losses. 
But we've seen for these ripple events, uh, the cost ranges anywhere from typically seven times to as much as 15 times or even greater than the typical cost of a single party event. Uh, so when these things happen that sweep up multiple companies, they're typically extremely costly, as you can imagine from the legal ramifications, regulator impacts, and of course, the customer impacts as well. Right. Not to, re- not to mention reputational impacts. You know, Even if it's not your own breach, your name will get dragged through the mud if, if you're the primary uh, brand that people know. Absolutely. And, and I think it's important to notice here, to mention here that our data on this particular aspect is coming from publicly verifiable real-world costs. So we've been a longtime partner with uh, Zywave, uh, formerly Advisin, and they published a feed of publicly verifiable breach information that encompasses hundreds of thousands of events out there. And all of these events are actual hard costs. So we're not dealing with estimates. Uh, we're actually dealing with companies actually experienced. So uh, I think, I hope that uh, most of our uh, listeners are familiar with MITRE ATT&CK uh, framework. And so how does attack analysis uh, fit in uh, to all this and relate to these Ripple events? Absolutely. So ATT&CK is a fantastic framework. Uh, as many people are familiar with, it goes back to MITRE. Uh, I think it was originally founded back in 2013, and it's now up to version 13 out there. And it's a way of describing the full attack chain. That's perhaps an overused term there. Everywhere from initial compromise through to lateral movement all the way out to post-compromise and impact on the um, on the, the sad end of the equation there. Because a lot of the information we're dealing with is from public sources or publicly accessible sources there, we don't often have full forensics information on many, if not most, or even all of these events. You know, we have, hey, this event happened, it was this tight perhaps, and here are the losses, but we don't know exactly all of the steps that happened there. So what we've done at Scientia, and we've done this in, in several reports now, uh, many of which are publicly available, including the Information Risk Insights Study, and we're happy to bring to this effort with Risk Recon, we've been working on uh, taking these information, applying our data science expertise to do some machine learning and uh, advanced uh, natural language processing to say, okay, given what we know about the event, can we extract what are the probable actual parts of the MITRE attack taxonomy that apply here? And that's incredibly useful because not only can we then classify, here are the common ways that attackers are actually getting a foothold and then exploiting that foothold on firms, but here are actually the controls that have the greatest probability of preventing those, either that initial foothold or the impact to the organization. Right. Excellent. So um, is there a difference here between insider-related events and how they uh, uh, differ, I guess, from outside threat actors? Absolutely, there is. So uh, insider threats and insider events are one that get a lot of attention because it's it's always that concern there, the trusted insider there. And certainly, I, I don't want to downplay those events. Uh, that being said, in our research, we have found the actions of malicious insiders to be uh, much less than is commonly expected. Uh, that's not to say, however, that insiders are not involved as we've seen in this particular bit of work on these Ripple events, uh, those Ripple events that are from insider mistakes, so that would be errors, that would be, uh, I clicked on something I shouldn't have there, are twice as common as those that are not insider-related. 
And in fact, those insider events, um, even more significantly, are 800 times as costly as those typically involving insider malice. So yes, having some having a rogue administrator is definitely a problem. It is still the user behavior that is the biggest and most lucrative uh, target. Right. So it goes back to security awareness, security as uh, social engineering, that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. So um, looking at the data, looking at what you've learned, what are the key techniques seen at the start of these Ripple events? And what controls are most connected to preventing the events? As you mentioned, it is things that are uh, well known to many practitioners, but are still hard. Um, certainly, there is lots of uh, advanced malware out there, advanced techniques out there. But in the vast majority of the events, it is still the, uh, I'll put air quotes around it, the standard things uh, that are challenging for a lot of companies. On the frequency side, it is uh, just as you were mentioning there, you see valid accounts. So having root passwords exposed out there, valid accounts being exploited, whether that be through phishing or password guessing there, are extremely common. Also, we have uh, trusted relationships. So this is, I trust this third party implicitly. And when that is compromised, that is affected as well. On the losses side of the equation, most commonly, the, the largest share of losses that companies are experiencing are coming from an exploit of their public-facing applications, whether that's a payment portal or a, a customer data portal, et cetera. From a mitigations perspective, uh, we there's like four key controls that are relevant for over two-thirds of all the events in this particular report, uh, those being user account management. So, you know, knowing who your customers are and, and who your employees are. It is uh, privileged account management. So this is how well do you track and manage uh, those administrator accounts and those other ones that have highly privileged access. One that's a little bit more technically oriented would be network segmentation. Do you have all of your assets on a single uh, network or is there layers that attackers would have to go through to get from a public website to your production backend, et cetera? And then last but certainly not least, as far as the top four, would be user training. So if, if you look at those three things, you know, three of them there are all user-oriented. Right. And is, and is this something then that uh, companies should demand or strongly request of their third parties as well to follow these, these basic rules? I think it would be excellent advice for both uh, practitioners looking to defend their own organization or looking to focus upon for the third-party risk management perspectives as well. Uh, we can even go further and look at saying from the other end of the equation, what happens uh, on the post-compromise. So if those controls are not successful at the front end, there are things that can be done on the back end to help reduce the actual loss magnitude. And those, uh, there's a, a quick list of five that I'll list off that are responsible for 90% of those losses. And that would be uh, restricting file and directory permissions. So this is, again, limiting access to only just what is necessary. Uh, zero trust has been a popular one of recent years, and this is very equivalent with that. Going back to the users again, you have user account permissions. Uh, you know how well do those permissions uh, are limited? Privileged account management follows up again. We have execution prevention, and this is one that is a little bit more technical as well. So this is what you might think of as allow listing. So do you only permit uh, known good executables to be run on your devices and your endpoints? And then following up on that, you have endpoint protection. This is your standard uh, antivirus, uh, endpoint response system, whatever we're calling it these days, uh, type of technologies. 
Right. You want to have good relationships with your internal your folks, the companies that you work with, but you also need to verify that they're that you're protecting your own environment from things that they're doing and they're protecting their environment so uh, so that you can trust everybody. Absolutely. Um, looking ahead to what might change or might be on the horizon in the future, I ask this of my guests a lot. Uh, do you see anything that, that you'd like to predict in this area? As we talked about in the course of this conversation there, it is still the old and true that are the most common. Uh, user behavior, and I, I certainly don't mean to... Um, give cast aspersions and shade upon users. I mean, this is hard. It is a a failure, I believe, of the technology that it is just too easy for a user and an enterprise to be compromised by one errant click. Uh, There's just too much around that. Uh, So this means that we need to provide better tools and education and technology to users so that they can go about the things that they need to do in a safe fashion. So that, that is a hope rather than a prediction around that there. Um, yes, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, you know, you're not alone in that. We uh, we interviewed Ira Winkler, formerly of Walmart, about a year ago, and he talks about the same thing, that we often blame the humans as the weakest part of uh, cybersecurity, but, you know, the whole world is set up to protect humans from themselves, and why should cybersecurity be any different? It should not. Excellent. Uh, David Seversky, Senior Security Data Scientist at Scientia Institute, thank you very much for joining us on the RHISAC podcast. We are now joined by a very special guest, Alexandra Brown, Senior Director of Operations for the RHISEC. Welcome back to the podcast, Alex. Hello, and hi, RHISEC podcast listeners. As Luke said, I'm Alexandra, or Alex Brown, uh, Senior Director of Operations here at the RHISEC. Excellent. And I I should point out that we're also joined potentially by Clyde, your dog. So uh, in case we hear him in the background, we can, uh, he's just going to opine uh, on things that are important to him. You and I are in meetings all, to, all the time. I get to see you all the time, get to work with you all the time. But for the benefit of those folks listening uh, or our members who don't know you as well, uh, can you give us a little introduction about who you are and what you do and as much of your background as you want to share? Sure. Uh, we'll keep it brief. Um, but I, have, as the Senior Director of Operations here, I help to oversee the HR, finance, strategic operations, and the events portfolio for our business. Primarily, of course, right now, leading up to the peak event season, I'm really focused on events, um, but also supporting all of those other functions as well. That's great. And, and you're right. One of the things we have been working on closely together is the upcoming RHISAC Cyber Intelligence Summit, our biggest event of the year. And I could say it's it's here now. It's only a few days away. So Give us little details about the event. Yeah, very exciting. So the RHISAC Summit is coming up October 2nd through the 4th, and it's going to take place at the Hilton Dallas Plano Granite Park in Plano, Texas, or Dallas, Texas, essentially, if you're not local to Texas. Uh, this is going to be our eighth year holding this program, and it is our second time at this location. Yes, it's a, it's the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. It's all right there. You fly into the same airport. So 
Uh, that's great. And uh, great location. Glad we could be back. Uh, perfect spot for the event. Uh, what what should our attendees expect when they get there? That is a great question. Um, and the answer depends on when you arrive. <laughs> so the action will begin on Monday, October 2nd. We'll be hosting a strategic tabletop exercise at noon that day. Uh, a tactical capture the flag that will start at 1 p.m. We have a soft registration that's going to open at 2 p.m., Sponsors will be putting their tables together, getting ready for the, their networking uh, the following day. And then we will have our opening reception that takes place on the outdoor patio and fire pit area at the Hilton beginning at 5 p.m. So there's a lot happening on day one. We encourage attendees to take advantage of any and all opportunities for networking before the official conference begins the following day, Tuesday, October 3rd. Excellent. So once they get into town, they can start moseying over in Texas fashion starting around 2 o'clock. That's right. All right. So uh, looking at the agenda, which I've done at the, uh, at the, at the Summit micro, Micros website, summit.rhisac.org, huge array of topics and speakers. Uh, give us some highlights. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got a fantastic lineup of speakers, topics, and sessions uh, at this year's event. As of recording, as of today, we have 55 speakers confirmed. 24 breakout sessions, and five keynote or panel discussion presentations. Uh, So the majority of our speakers are from our retail and hospitality membership base from companies like Target, United Airlines, Marriott, Albertsons, Costco, Walmart, Home Depot, Hyatt, T-Mobile, Lowe's, IHG, I can go on and on. (laughs) A couple of of sessions I did want to highlight for listeners so first, our opening keynote, is, it's a panel discussion that's titled The Priorities, Purpose, and Power of Information Sharing. Um, we're bringing together a couple of really great CISO leaders uh, from Levi Strauss, Ulta Beauty, and Casey's General Stores. They're going to help us to essentially set the stage for the conference and really showcase why it's important for us to gather like this, why we share, and the importance of nurturing our RHISAC community to help collectively defend against bad actors. Another session that I'm really looking forward to is our panel discussion on the state of cyber threat intelligence or CTI in 2023 and beyond. So that session is moderated uh, by Victoria Secret. We've got some fantastic CTI leaders joining from Target, Sheen, and Canadian Tire. We've got, I think you've already talked on the podcast about Deneen DiFiore, the CISO at United Airlines, her presentation on navigating through a global crisis. Uh, We've got another panel, main stage panel on digital fraud, emerging tech and AI with leaders from Walmart, Kava, uh, Colgate, Palmolive and Booking Holdings. And then last, our closing keynote for the summit is a cybersecurity analyst, researcher and white hat hacker, Karen Ilazari, who's going to talk about what we can learn from hackers about the future of cybersecurity. So it's a fully packed two days, lots of sessions to choose from. Oftentimes what we hear from our attendees is, you know, they wish they could be in two or three places at once because we've got these these stacked. So very excited. I was just going to say that there's so much going on and so much happening at the same time. I've, it's really been uh, amazing to watch this this agenda gel. And I I did mention, uh, Deneen, uh, on, uh, as a kind of a, to sweeten everybody's interest. Uh, and I got to meet Karen in London earlier this year, and she told me she was very excited about coming over and, and uh, being part of our event. So that's great. So can you um, tell us, I think there's going to be a lot, looking at the registration list, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, newcomers attending, but also some folks who have been here before. 
Uh, registration's going well, uh, and it seems like it's probably going to be bigger even than last year. So what can these folks uh, expect? Give me a little, maybe some helpful tips so that people can uh, uh, prepare for the arrival. Yeah, you're exactly right. So said and done, we're going to see upwards of you know 350, maybe even close to 400 folks at this event this year. So whether you're attending the summit for the first time or you're a seasoned attendee, uh, I do have some tips to help make sure that this is a memorable experience for everyone. So first, um, hotel reservations. If you have not already done so, please make sure to book your hotel rooms. Our room block is at capacity, but there are a handful of alternative options in close proximity to the event. If you go to the aforementioned micro website, summit.rhisec.org, uh, there is a venue and travel tab with a handful of, of options for you there. Uh, suggested attire. So the dress code is business casual. We want our attendees to feel comfortable. We suggest, you know, nice jeans paired up with button-down shirt, slacks, or casual dress or a skirt. Suit jackets and ties are not required. Um, we do suggest bringing a light sweater or jacket as, you know, conference centers, meeting rooms uh, can sometimes become a bit chilly. As far as arrival goes, parking and transportation, the majority of attendees are going to be flying in for the event. So we suggest just using a rideshare app, an Uber, a Lyft, getting a, a taxi to get to the hotel. Um, for those that are local or are driving in, there is a large parking lot in front of the hotel. You can self-park. If you plan to leave your car overnight, the cost is $18 per night to keep your car there. So just go to the front desk and, and take care of that. A couple other things. So there are additional programs that require registration. Uh, some of those are uh, the strategic tabletop exercise that I mentioned on that Monday at noon, the tactical capture the flag, also on Monday at 1 p.m., the member meeting and celebration dinner. So for all of our retail and hospitality members, you will not want to miss that. And that does require separate registration. And then last, just on-site support. We have a registration desk that will be staffed during all hours of the event, not overnight, um, if you have any questions, if you need help, um, start at the Reg Desk. They'll help you find answers or connect you with the right people to to make sure that you're getting what you're looking for. So leading up to the event, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, send those over to events at rhisac.org, events at rhisac.org. And then don't forget to check out the Summit website. It has the agenda, speakers, all the all the details, that's summit.rhisec.org. I think that's it for me. So looking forward to seeing you all in Dallas. And thanks for having me on the podcast, Luke. That's great. I'm getting excited about it. Looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to seeing all of our members again, uh, which is great. Alex, thank you for being on the podcast. More importantly, thank you for all that you do to, to make our events and uh, all the other things you do great. All right, we are now joined by Lee Clark, the RHI Sachs own, for the briefing. And usually you have fairly topical subjects to talk about because it's a briefing of the major threats and trends you're seeing, but pretty pretty good breaking news happening in our sector these days, right, Lee? Yeah, uh, it has been a busy September and an even busier uh, past two weeks in the uh, RHI Sachs community, that's for sure, Luke. So... One thing we wanted to take this opportunity for the briefing to talk about was there has been a, a serious uptick in the last month in 
scattered spider activity, uh, and especially scattered spider facilitating the uh, Alpha V and Black Cat uh, ransomware strains uh, by targeting Okta customers. So this is happening, especially in the hospitality and gaming communities, right? Uh, We've all been seeing breaking news uh, of organizations being compromised as a result of uh, Okta credentials or Okta environments being uh, hit, right? So essentially the the gist we want to get across to membership and to the larger community is that organizations who are operating in the retail, hospitality, travel spaces are strongly encouraged to implement defensive recommendations that have been provided by Okta and a few recommendations that we have here at the ISEC, like uh, reviewing known tactics, techniques, and procedures employed by Scattered Spider and other threat groups known to target Okta, uh, ingesting indicators of compromise associated with those same groups, and then just maintaining situational awareness uh, of developing threat intelligence related to Scattered Spider. So essentially throughout this entire year, Scattered Spider has dramatically escalated targeting the retail, hospitality, and travel sectors. And this includes activity like uh, domain impersonations, phishing campaigns, and facilitating uh, ransomware operations, especially of the Alfie or Black Cat strain, right? In September of this year, that activity increased just exponentially in the form of of targeting in the hospitality sector, right? So in late August, Okta actually provided some really interesting security recommendations as well as TTPs, IOCs, and detection options. Uh, that, That memo is really worth checking out for organizations because they provide in depth defensive recommendations. Uh, for their customers to combat some of the activity that we're actually seeing expand now, right? Uh, this includes protecting sign-in flows by enforcing authentication with FastPass, um, configuring authentication policies for access to privileged applications, uh, using self-service recovery, reviewing and consolidating the use of remote management and monitoring tools, uh, strengthening help desk identity verification process using a combination of maybe visual verification, uh, delegated workflows uh, to issue MFA challenges, or access requests that require approval by a user's line manager, right? Uh, that last one I'd like to highlight uh, in particular for, for obvious reasons. Um, this These recommendations go on, um, and, and they're pretty lengthy. And the, the great thing that Okta has done here is they've actually given detailed instructions in the forms of links within each of those recommendations for organizations to look into exactly how to enable these access controls. And these access controls have the benefit of, of being both uh, technical and process-oriented. So in addition to changing configurations on machines in your environment, it's also about uh, training staff. It's also about creating processes and workflows that require staff to follow secure guidelines, right? And those things in combination are, are some of the most effective defenses uh, against all cyber attacks, not just the, the current ones we're seeing. Right. That's one of the things that stuck out to me about this is how policy-oriented it was that there's certain things that can be put into place 
just from a process standpoint that that were not being used uh, by the by the victims of these attacks. Sure. So I mean, overwhelmingly in cybersecurity, for for years there's been this sort of idea that the human element in a cybersecurity operation is is the weakest link, and I don't think that's always true. But it is true that combining that level of people-focused security controls and technologically-focused security controls, those two things together are what can really develop this sort of posture that enables the overwhelming rejection of of a number of cyber intrusions. And that's because these organizations are operated by people at the end of the day. So it doesn't matter— if you have all the security controls in the world enabled, if, uh, say, a phishing email allows someone into your network because someone clicked on it, right? So so those two things in concert are, are what can really help defense. And I, I really like that Okta sort of uh, does that here. They combine those two to sort of help their customers figure out ways to to develop that sort of culture of security that we talk about. So if we pivot from the organization being targeted, right, to the organization doing the targeting, uh, Scattered Spider is also known as UNC-3944, Scatter Swine, and Muddled Libra. What a name. Um, They're a uh, financially motivated actor. They've been active since at least 2022, and they've largely been observed targeting telecoms and business organizations, especially critical infrastructure organizations. They have more recently, in the past, let's say, year, maybe six months, increased the targeting of the retail sector dramatically, right? And in this changing of targets, they've also started leveraging a variety of new tools, especially social engineering tactics like calling a help desk and impersonating IT maintenance. Right. So Scattered Spider is one of the first organizations that we here at the RHISEC actually covered in our threat actor catalog. So the RHISEC operates a MISP galaxy where we have a database of the major threat actors that target the retail and hospitality and travel communities in a sophisticated and consistent way. Scattered Spider was among the first ones we did. Our profile for that available to members includes known aliases, background information and history, known exploited vulnerabilities, prominent open source incidents attributed to the group, known TTPs leveraged by the group, IOCs attributed to the group, including closed source IOCs that aren't publicly available, and then data sources of where we get all this information, right? And we, we have this for a number of threat actors, but Scattered Spiders uh, one of the big ones we've been uh, focusing on, especially because we've been seeing so much activity from that group. In addition to Scattered Spider, what other threat actors have been targeting Okta, right? Okta is a really valuable target for uh, cyber threat actors because organizations rely on them so much. It's, Okta is such an incredible tool uh, for for managing an environment, right, that, that organizations end up integrating them in a serious way, which makes them a high-value target. Now, Okta's really good about catching these, disrupting them, letting their customers know what's going on. No shade to Okta at all. Uh, but that's why we have a such a dedicated timeline of organizations targeting them, right? Uh, in August of last year, Group IB uh, identified uh, uh, opportunistic phishing campaign, probably involving Scattered Spider or an organization they call Octopus, which we assess with a 
moderate degree of confidence is probably the same uh, organization. Uh, out of nearly 10,000 user accounts and 130 global organizations that were targeted in that phishing account, at least seven retail companies were targeted and saw exploitation attempts, right? Earlier that same year, Okta actually themselves released a really excellent technical report uh, about an ongoing compromise they had been notified about by Twilio, right? Uh, they identified unauthorized access to information related to a number uh, of customers, and Okta released a great report about exactly what happened, exactly what was done to mitigate it. We also know that in March of last year, uh, the Lapsus Cyber Criminal Group, whenever they were in the middle of their spree, uh, they went on quite a spree getting a number of retail organizations in South America, a number of financial institutions, and Okta was one of the organizations that they eventually posted screenshots of on their Telegram uh, channel demonstrating that they had super user access. Okta immediately responded to that, right? So the gist of this is what I said when we were right up front at the beginning, right? There is an established history of sophisticated threat actors targeting Okta users in a consistent and technologically advanced and well-resourced way. And because of that history, and because that history has led to a current sort of uh, escalation in these attacks on the retail, travel, and hospitality communities, uh, we're going to strongly recommend uh, that organizations uh, really take a good look at those Okta uh, recommendations and implement them, right? As well as maintaining that situational awareness through, say, participation in an ISAC community, right? Sharing intel, that's important. Wow, that's a lot. Uh, it's rare, at, the, at least in my experience, to have two major things happening at the same time. This on the heels of the, the CLOP uh, situation as well. So a uh, lot going on for our members, a lot going on for you guys on the Intel team here at the RHISAC. So uh, keep up the good work. Thanks again, as always, for the briefing, Lee, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks. Thank you to all of my guests, David Saversky of Scienta Institute and the RHI Saxon, Alex Brown and Lee Clark. If you do one thing after listening to today's episode, head over to summit.rhisac.org to learn all about the RHI Sac Cyber Intelligence Summit kicking off next week. We have great speakers, including CISOs from Colgate Palmolive, United Airlines, Ulta Beauty, Kava, Lowe's, Booking.com, Levi Strauss, Casey's General Stores, Aramark, Contour Brands, and more. Check out the whole list of speakers and the agenda at summit.rhisac.org. I hope to see you there. If everything you've heard today sounds great, but your company isn't yet a member of the RHISAC, what are you waiting for? Go to rhisac.org join to learn more and to start the process. And if you want to discuss anything you've heard today, or if you have an idea for a podcast segment, or even if you want to be on yourself, shoot us an email at podcast at rhisac.org. As always, thank you to the production team who do their best to make us sound good. For the RHISAC, that's Annie Chambliss and Marisa Trushinecki. And from N2K Networks, formerly known as the Cyberwire, Jennifer Ivan, Trey Hester, and Elliot Peltzman. Thanks as always for listening, and stay safe out there. Uh-huh.